Bruce, as Greg said, it's a bit of an intermission, so we interrupt your regularly scheduled programming. Um, but this is um, a passage that I chose because its topics, I think, are very relevant to us. Um, and also Hebrews is one of my favorite books in the Bible, and uh, I haven't had a chance to preach on it before. So, um, so there we go. In fact, the person who introduced me to the book of Hebrews initially has uh, come from his church to our church to visit this morning. So uh, thanks, Jez. For, uh, if, and, and anyone can blame Jez if you don't like this sermon. Um, <laughs> Uh, so um, this week, uh, I don't know if anyone's noticed, it's been a bit hot, um, it's maybe just a little bit. I mean, some of the Americans are sitting there thinking it's been quite chilly this week. Um, but no, it's been, it's been pretty hot. Um, it's uh, been so hot that some places have actually gone on actual fire, um, which is obviously pretty terrifying for people who have been around that. Um, there was a sort of strangely ironic place in uh, Spain, I believe it was this week, where a company whose goal is reforestation um, decided that, sort of despite the heat, they were going to forge ahead because they had some deadlines to meet as to how many uh, trees they needed to get planted in a certain amount of time and decided to keep digging. My Bible's going to keep moving there. There we go. So you might get a, a, a preach on Philemon instead. Um, <laughs> the wind is great. But um, they decided they were going to keep digging despite the, uh, the intense heat, um, and they ended up causing a forest fire that decimated 3,500 acres of uh, existing land uh, in Spain, um, which uh, there's a certain irony there in not knowing when to stop. Uh, despite their goals being noble, uh, they decided to keep going uh, regardless as to the evidence around them. Um, and their digging machinery sparked a fire that destroyed not only what they were trying to create, but the whole reason they were there in the first place to add more forest space. Um, and in our own lives, this, this is a phrase I've got up on the screen, burning out. Uh, I think it's a phrase that's come into far more common parlance in recent years, the idea of burnout. Um, people have become much more familiar with what burnout is. You get articles, uh, usually in The Guardian, um, on burnout and burnout culture. Um, and we've started sort of using it as part of our regular lingo. Oh, I'm just a bit burned out. Um, and there are sort of technical terms for what burnout implies. Um, it's usually associated with people's work, but it doesn't have to be their work as in their day job. It can just be something they tend to work at. Um, and people are saying, oh, I'm, I'm burning out at this or uh, this thing I'm really struggling with. And it tends to mean that something about their work is wrong. It doesn't mean that doing their job is wrong. Um, if you're burning out, if you're experiencing burnout, that doesn't mean that the job you've done in the start, the job you're doing to start with, is wrong. Just like it wasn't wrong for these people to be trying to plant trees. Planting trees seems like a really, really good idea right about now. But there are points where maybe you need to stop. Um, and the same goes for our work. And that's why I wanted to talk today about rest. This passage talks about rest and it talks about uh, God's rest. We're going to look at what God's rest is, how that's maybe different from the rest that we might think of when we say the word rest. Um, and we're going to talk about how we get that because it's all well and good reading lots of articles in The Guardian about burnout and saying, oh, I should just rest more. But then you put the paper down or you close your app and everything still exists. All those problems are still there. All those challenges, all those difficulties, all those pressures. All those social media posts about people who, you know, this kid was 14 when they started Lemonade Stand and now they're a multimillionaire and you're sitting there wondering which type of peanuts you can afford in Tesco's. Um, and you think, if only, if only I'd started that Lemonade Stand. 
we have so many pressures, so many things around us that tell us you have to keep working, you have to keep working really hard until you literally set on fire. And this is a passage that says maybe there's a different route. Maybe there's a different way we can do this. Um, maybe there is good news. We're going to look at the good news. And so please do keep your Bibles open. I don't have sort of three points, nice structure. So when you get quizzed about this, it's your MCs. You can't just rattle off the three points and pretend you listened. Uh, we're going to go through the passage pretty much from the start to the finish. Um, so do keep your Bibles open and uh, I'll try and sort of quote the verse numbers as I go. Although this Bible does have really small verse numbers. Uh, so if I get them wrong, my apologies. Therefore, verse 1, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful, none of you be found to have fallen short of it. There's a trope, I think I used this the last time I preached here as well, I'm going to use it again. When is the therefore? What's it therefore? Um, this passage is referring to Psalm 95, which was quoted in Hebrews 3. Um, and if I'd been sensible ahead of time, I'd have had that bookmarked. So last time I, I preached this sermon two weeks ago at a different church, and they actually read Psalm 95 as well. Uh, so uh, we, we kind of could easily refer to it, but I'll just open it and have a look at it briefly. Psalm 95 is uh, talking about the Israelites when they were in the desert between leaving Egypt and entering the land of Israel, the promised land. And the final verse of Psalm 95 says, So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. This is talking about a time when the Israelites had some work ahead of them. They had left Egypt. They had seen the signs uh, that Moses and God through, had done through Moses. They'd seen the Red Sea part and the uh, Egyptian army separated from them by the sea. And they had escaped slavery. They traveled to the land that they uh, had been told to go to by God. And at the edge of the land, they decided to send some spies into the land. And those spies came back saying, these people are really strong. We're scared of what to do. And everyone said, oh, we would have been better off in Egypt, as if forgetting what slavery is like. What is God going to do, as if forgetting all the things God's done? Let's just go back. And God is somewhat displeased at this point. And God says, oh, OK, you don't trust me to take you safely into the land. All right, you won't go into the land. And the Israelites have to wait uh, another 40 years before they will finally enter the land. And so this uh, psalm that's being quoted here in Hebrews um, is being quoted to people um, of the Jewish faith who would know this very well, who would know this story very well. It's quoted as a way of telling them, don't do what they did. Don't do this thing where God's shown you all these signs and then you simply dismiss it. And that's why we have this phrase, good news, in this passage. We have good news because we have the gospel, verse 2. For we also have the gospel preached to us just as they did. We've seen something better. But we're looking back to this passage, this Psalm 95, about God saying, they will never enter my rest. Rest is kind of a strange word when we talk about it in God's sense. I think this is one of the passages, other than Psalm 95 that's quoting, that features the word rest most often. You don't tend to find rest mentioned in the Bible. Um, caring for people, that's mentioned quite a lot. Uh, being good, honouring God, mentioned quite a lot. Not so much about rest, and you don't see people being that restful. The Bible is often a story of people doing stuff all the time. We read Acts and we think, okay, let's go, 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 go. 
So this is about rest, and that means we don't talk about rest so much. What does it mean here by God's rest? Is it God's tea break? Is it God's sitting for half an hour scrolling on Facebook? Is it God's just lying on the sofa because you know you need to do the dishes, but you just don't want to? The rest it's talking about here is, as you might imagine, slightly different from those. And it explains it in uh, verse 3 and the second half of verse 3, after the quote from Psalm 95. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. His work's been finished since the creation of the world. And then in verse 4, and on the seventh day, God rested from his work. We've already jumped back into Exodus a little bit. Let's go back even further, Genesis. In Genesis 2, God finishes his creation. And then he rests, creates things each day, sun, moon, stars, seas, fish, animals, people. And then on the seventh day, he rests. And the rest that's described in Genesis 2 is not a rest of, okay, Brief pause, back to it. We don't say God created the world in a couple of weeks. In the middle, he had a bit of a snooze. God creates the world in seven days. And whether or not you believe in a literal seven-day creation or something else, that's not the point here. But rest, God resting, is a key part of the creation process. After every day, God says it is good. And then at the end, he rests. That rest is as much a rest uh, as important to the story as all the things he created. It's mentioned very clearly, the seventh day God rested. There's a reason that's there. God's rest in Genesis 2 is a rest of a finished work. It's not a rest of a brief pause. It's not a rest of slacking off because hopefully no one will notice I'm not doing anything today. It's a rest of something being good and done and God is satisfied with what he's done, with what he's created. But then in here, in this passage, and again, he says, they shall never enter my rest. That deep satisfaction, that restorative rest of work well done, is at this point being denied to the people of Israel, as they remember in Psalm 95. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Well, why did people not enter God's rest? And in fact, it turns out people are pretty bad at resting and trusting in God. When God gave the Ten Commandments later on in Exodus, uh, you probably know some of them, maybe all of them. Um, I found it really interesting when reading for this passage that the uh, fourth commandment, which is about the Sabbath, is the most detailed of all the commandments. You shall not kill. Really obvious. Don't kill people. And everyone goes, oh, yeah, okay. But rest. God has to dig in. He has to go into detail in Exodus when he talks about keeping the Sabbath holy. Describes what that means. Because he's like, you should rest. And they're like, oh, but can I? No. And I just find it fascinating that of all the things that we think about that you shouldn't do, oh, don't steal, don't lie. Don't. We, we teach these things to our children. We don't, probably don't teach them not to kill. But we teach these things to our children. And we rarely teach them to, to rest. 
Because I think we feel that we've got it sorted out. Oh, it's easy. You just lie down. And now I'm resting. And God didn't see it that way. God knew what people were like. Because the reason that most people didn't rest and the reason that Sabbath is so important is that the reason people aren't resting isn't just that they are trying really hard to do all the good things and they're just so good. It's so good. We're just helping people all the time and we just don't want to stop helping people. So why rest? We're going to keep helping people. Because the things they're doing when they're helping people, when they're doing those good works, are actually replacing God in their lives. We spoke about reach out to the community. Great charity, doing great work. We support them. We want to support them. But if doing that charity work becomes your reason for existing, that is going to crush you, and you are not going to be able to rest. I had a, a, a good friend who had just such noble aspirations in work against climate change. And I was so saddened to see this crush him because one person against the fossil fuel industries of the world, that's not an easy fight to win. I'm not saying we shouldn't do activism. I'm not saying we shouldn't try and change things. But if you make it your mission, if I don't stop climate change myself, my life is worth nothing. That is heavy. That is a heavy burden to bear. And it can be the same for other aspects of our lives. It can be the same for our children. If my children don't succeed, if my children don't go to the best university, if my children don't become Christians, then I failed. They are my work. I will work at them day and night. And we lose the ability to rest. I got taught a lesson um, years ago, uh, again, in, in the uh, first church I was at in Manchester, which sort of became the church that then became another church that then formed Redeem. It's a long story. Um, I kept going to churches and I kept closing. Um, but it wasn't my fault, I'm honest. Um, and I, at the time, was self-employed and I would travel a lot for my work and I traveled a lot of the weekends. And when you travel a lot of the weekends, you don't tend to be able to make it to church so often. Um, I deliberately picked an afternoon church so that I could try and get there more often, although it's actually because I wanted to lie in. Um, and we went on a weekend away, and I left the church weekend away after one night because I was going to go and do some work. Could have spent a weekend with wonderful people at my church and had great teaching, great community, great fellowship. Um, and instead, I packed up and jumped on my motorbike the next morning and rode off to work. And as I rode off, the thing that was set in my head was the, one of the ladies at the church the previous evening whilst doing the dishes had said to me, don't you see the point of the Sabbath? Don't you see the point of the Sabbath? And obviously I said, oh, well, we, we, Sabbath, oh, it's Sunday, but I, I can do a Sabbath on another day, can't I? I'll, just, I'll do it Monday afternoon and a little bit of Tuesday, and maybe like half an hour on Wednesday, a sort of Tetris Sabbath. Um, and... And I, I, I've missed her point. Whereas I rode away feeling weirdly melancholy from leaving all my church family to go and work somewhere. Um, I started to think about that. I started to think about the value of Sabbath. Why did God give us a day? Why didn't God just say, take a, you know, take a screen break? Um, do the Pomodoro method. Um, God, God said, take a day. Have a day to dedicate to God. Um, and it's because having that point doesn't just say, oh, 
I'll break from my idols. My idols can sit there on the shelf for half an hour whilst I go do something else. It says that my work, all those tasks I do, my activism, my family, that they're not the things that rule me, but it's God. We give the day to God in rest or in something else. It doesn't necessarily have to be just sitting and doing nothing. Right now it's Sunday and I'm definitely not sitting and doing nothing. But that day is God's, God's day. That is God's rest. Not a procrastination, but a restoration. I just came up with that. I like it. Um, Sabbath is something that's important. And I learned the value of Sabbath at just about the right time before I probably burned out for the first time in my life. Um, but Sabbath alone just can become another rule. Um, because we are all people. We look in here and we see in verse 3, for we also have had the gospel, sorry, verse 2, we also have the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. We can look back at the Bible and the story of Israel and we can say to ourselves, well, we're not them. We're not the people who were on the edge of the promised land, escaping slavery, and decided, oh, no, we'll just, we'll just take, a, take a breather. And we can say that we're not all these people. There's a lot of people in here. And a lot of them we tend to see as, oh, they're examples of what not to do. So just don't do that. And we miss the point that we are those people too. We are fallible. We are easily distracted. And so just having the gospel preached to us, just having this message, just having me, Greg, someone else come up in front of the church and say, hey, here's an idea, doesn't tend to change us. It might give us some insights, but it doesn't tend to simply transform what we do. I would love it if there were some people here, genuinely, who went away today and said, I need to do Sabbath now. I haven't before, but now I need to. That would be a wonderful thing. And I, if, if that's you, if you find that hard, talk to me, because I find it hard to this day. Um, I'm still in a high-pressure job environment, and I have to really work hard to have that Sabbath. But just my advice isn't going to get you there. I'm sorry. I would like to think it does, because I like myself. But that's not the way it's going to be. It says here that it still remains that some will enter the rest. Verse 6. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. See, we can have all the good ideas. We can have all the good teaching and preaching. We can listen to that really good podcast. And yet we'll still miss it. And the reason for that is not that we aren't trying hard enough, because that's the point. We're not meant to just be trying harder. Please don't hear me saying that, that, oh, if you hear this today, go try really hard to rest. Have you ever tried to get to sleep by trying really hard? You ever laying in your bed, just willing yourself. I, I first encountered that as a child when I was waiting for Father Christmas. And you're thinking, I don't want to be awake when he comes. I need those presents. Um, that's already a wrong thing, by the way. Um, but you really want to get to sleep and you're trying so hard. And strangely enough, 
trying really hard to sleep doesn't tend to be that restful. Um, so this isn't a, a call to be uh, trying really hard to rest. The screen's gone off my tablet. Um, this is a call to think about why we can't rest in the first place. Yes, there are distractions. Yes, there is our jobs. Yes, there's our family. But here it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. If Joshua had given them rest. Why is Joshua just come in here? Well, Joshua is the one who eventually brought the people into the land. After Moses died, they said, okay, maybe this desert thing wasn't a good idea. Let's try again. And Joshua took the people into the land. And they took over the land. They divided it up between the tribes. They had the land. And everything was great with Israel from that point onwards. There's a lot of Bible between uh, the book of Joshua and now. If everything was fine from then, do you reckon we'd have needed to write the rest of it? No. Israel didn't just sort itself out. Israel didn't just get on with it because they still had the same hard hearts. We see the story of Israel being this continual cycle of God saying, okay, let's try this again. And everyone going, yes, this time. And then someone goes, hey, I've just made this statue. And it goes back again. And it goes on and on and on. And at this point, this letter in Hebrews is being written to people who've heard the gospel and then have gone, we could just do like a little sacrifice, couldn't we? Just, just in case. Let's sort of hedge our bets. This is talking about acknowledging a different finished work. God finishes work in creation. Seventh day, he rested. That was a rest, and that's the kind of rest we want to enter, a rest of satisfied work completed. But then we continue to work, and we continue to work because we don't believe we are enough. We don't believe we can be accepted. We don't believe uh, that we maybe deserve it. Maybe we do think we deserve it. We get really annoyed when the Bible tells us we don't. And so we work to prove that. I am good enough. But there's another finished work, and that's the finished work of Jesus. I don't know how relevant a point it is, but in the uh, Hebrew of this, Joshua would be Yeshua, which is also the name that Jesus would have had. Jesus is the Greek translation. You've got a wordplay there about Jesus, Joshua. Israel now has a new hope. Joshua didn't finish the work, but Jesus did. Jesus finished the work. Jesus died on the cross and he rose. And that was the finished work. That was a work that gives real rest. Just like the work of creation allows us to finish. This work allows us to finish. We can finish striving to prove how good we are, to prove how great we are. I serve at church all the time, so I am good. I give all this stuff to charity, so I am good. My kids are the best behaved, so I am good. People at my work love me, so I am good. Jesus died and came back to life. And that's the only thing that can make you good. Let us therefore, verse 11, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. When I was preparing for this sermon, I was, I'll be honest, in not a great place mentally. I had a week of just feeling very down, very downcast. And uh, 
I did not feel rest in that week. I found a quote uh, by the uh, minor theologian, Charles Spurgeon, um, who said that those who don't know rest shouldn't preach on it. I felt incredibly inadequate at that point in time. And then, as tends to happen in the grace of God in my life, my wife spoke to me. And she said to maybe think about this in a different way. Maybe it's not, you need to be really good at resting before you can talk about this. Maybe it's that you need to be aware that when you're doing these things, when you're preaching, when you're doing the work you need to rest from, that you're not doing it, but God is. Maybe that's the awareness Spurgeon was speaking about. Not just that you need to be really well rested and have a good night's sleep. Not just that you have to have no anxiety and be in a zen-like state. But maybe that you have to be relying on God for your rest rather than on you. And I realized that that's what I've been doing. I've been relying on everything around me to give me the rest in that week. I have been relying on circumstances, relying on things that were outside of my control to change, to give me what I needed. And obviously without those things changing, I couldn't rest. Well, that wasn't true. It wasn't fair. It wasn't going to give me rest because those things weren't guaranteed to change. I didn't have influence over them. What I needed was Jesus and what I needed as well was the word. Verse 12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. I'm not going to stab anyone. Um, the word of God is living and active. What does that mean? If the word of God is living, then it applies to what we do today, as much as it applied to people in the desert, as much as it applied to the Hebrews learning about Jesus and the resurrection, what it meant to them. And it applies to our modern day problems and challenges. I've checked through the Bible. There isn't much in here about how to deal with climate anxiety. There isn't much here on how to deal with that problem you have with that employee who just won't get the work right. Even after the third time, please get it right. There's not much in here to do with the school's admission procedure in Greater Manchester. And all of those things that we think are challenging us, all of the things we think are unique challenges to our age, to our lives, are not necessarily mentioned in here. And yet it says the word of God is living and active. The word of God is alive and it applies today to your lives as much as it applied to the people who were writing it and to the people who they were thinking about when they wrote it. And it applies not because we try and figure it out and we go, oh, well, let's, that, that word probably means computer. That's not, how we, that's not how we do it. But we think about the principles, the principle that God has provided for his people and has been continually providing for his people since creation. God gave people these, uh, these ways to understand him. And the way to understand him is through reading this Bible. I've heard people say that they aren't sure what God is saying to them. And if I then say, well, when, what did you read in the Bible recently? They just say, oh, I haven't. And there is a level to which it's like, well, if you're going to keep your fingers in your ears, you're not going to hear anything that's being said. Things in your life can be very challenging. I found last year I started listening to the Bible because I found it very hard to read the Bible. And I thought, oh, I could listen to audio Bibles instead. And then I had a thought of going, oh, is that cheating? 
Is it maybe like not really the Bible, is it? Because it's just someone reading something and, uh, you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm not doing the proper thing. I can say I'm reading the Bible, but I'm not reading, am I? That misses the point. This is God's word. If it's spoken to you, it's still being spoken. It's still being spoken to you. You're still hearing it. It can be difficult to think about reading the Bible on our own as the sort of wonderful thing and reading the Bible in a community to be somehow inferior. Um, we had that opinion brought up at our MC this week. Someone was saying they can read the Bible on their own. Uh, sorry, not on their own, I'm in the group, but not, not uh, on their own. And I wanted to say that doesn't matter. Great, reading the Bible on your own is fantastic. Do it more. But if you can't, and you can read it with other people, do that. The word is living and active. The idea that we will confine it to, it's got to be a 30-minute quiet time, first thing in the morning, straight after you get up, after you brush your teeth, is nonsense. We can read the word. We can hear the word. We can speak it to one another. We can be in a community group. We can be in a McDonald's. We can be on the train. We can be having a walk. We can be just getting a brief snippet in, let's be honest, while we're on the loo. The Bible can apply in all the situations because it's the word of God speaking into our lives. The talks about penetrating even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. The idea of this is that the Bible gives us God's word and God's law, God's justice. It lets us know why we are wrong with God. And it lets us know how we can be right with God. Often when we find we're doing all this work, we find we're doing, sometimes we're doing work as a penance. If I enjoy some mission work I'm doing, I'm clearly not doing the right mission work. Let's go do some mission work that I hate and I find hard. Let's go and talk to someone who's likely to punch me. Then I'll have done the God's work. Rather than have a relationship with someone and speak truth to them because you love them. We can add all these things in just as the Israelites did, just as the Hebrews here were tempted to, we can add on because we don't think God is enough. That's why we come to the idea of finished work. The finished work of Jesus means that we don't need to continue working to earn our salvation. It means that there is justice for the things we see that are wrong around us and it is not on us to provide that. It means that the things we have anxiety about, the things that stress us out, the things that stop us from sleeping at night, aren't things that we should simply force our mind through, grit our teeth, grin and bear it. It's something we should ignore them either. God puts people in positions and places to do things. He works through people. We see this continually through the Bible. But it's, the, it's God giving those people the strength to do those works. You think Joshua was like, I'm feeling really good about Jericho today. Boom. He trusted God in what he was doing. And God gave him the strength and the power and the ability to do what he did. We have to do the same. And the way we do that is by listening to God and by understanding this finished work. Final verse in this passage says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare. Those things that you are concerned about, God sees them. Good things, the bad things, the hard things, things that are challenging to you, the things that keep you up at night. The fact that you are working harder and stressing more 
and burning out more is not something that is there pleasing God who's saying, oh, good, they're finally having a bit of a go themselves. What pleases God is listening to the word. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That means we have to do two things. We have to listen. And listening can often mean reading. We have to not harden our hearts. We have to not say, oh, but God can't speak into this situation. This is too much for God. I've got to sort this out first. Then I'll come to God. In a moment, we're going to take communion. And that is a meal we take here every week at Redeemer. Um, some churches do it differently. We do it every week here because it is a reminder, a continual reminder that there is finished work. Jesus said that we want to remember him by taking this bread, taking this wine. And we're not simply remembering a teacher who said some things that we now need to go and put into practice and again, work really hard at. We're remembering that because of what Jesus said, because of what Jesus did, we don't need to make that our lives. We don't need our lives to be ones of stress and anxiety and things that just we can't possibly achieve, but we're going to try anyway. They can be lives of listening to Jesus, listening to what the Spirit is speaking to us through the Scripture. After Jesus had rose from the dead, he met some of his disciples on a road. And they were a bit downcast, as you might imagine. They didn't know Jesus had come back to life because it wasn't in their usual experience of daily life. And they were saying, but wasn't this the one that the scripture had spoken about? But the Romans just executed him. So he can't be. And Jesus walked through the Bible with them and showed how all the Bible points to him. And at the end of that, he broke bread with them. And then they realized who he was. They realized it was Jesus, the risen Lord. And they saw that all these things they'd read in the Bible were true. Imagine the life change in those people walking on the road and having Jesus explain how scripture points to him and how they felt afterwards. I bet from that day on when they took the bread and the wine, they had just the most incredible experience of, remember that time that we did this with Jesus and he just talked to us about the Bible? How desperate must they have been at those points to grab a Bible, or I guess a scroll at that point, and, and read it? And talk to each other about it. And tell other people who don't know about it. We can do the same. We have the word. We know that God's work is finished. We know that we can rest. And God gave us a Sabbath for that reason. And so we can read this word. And have the rest that God has given us. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we'll sort of do a brief intro into the communion.